and welcome to Gunite Quest episode 302. I am your not very funny host, Mike Apps, aka Wheels, and with me as always. Presidential daughter rescuer, David McBurney, Alan Master. Oh man. And uh... laughing inappropriately at various Resident Evil stuff, managed friend Michael Baker. Jim and I, I watched the puppet shows again. So. Of course. Nice. Yes. Wheels, what was the thing that you were just realizing? <laughs> Nothing. I was, I was like, press, saving the president's daughter, that could reference so many things. It's like, oh, duh, RE4. Yeah, really. I don't... Do we... I mean, I just finished the game, so I don't know what your excuse is. I honestly always forget that she's the president's daughter. Just keep you ripping just... off of your guys' things. So. <laughs> you, you just thought you were just referencing, rescuing someone? I don't know, maybe you just watch some random movie or some shit, I don't know. <laughs> I, just, I just, yeah, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know who she is if she's not the president's daughter. Uh, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, so we should probably talk about Zelda first. Zelda's approaching. Oh. Wheels, do you remember many years ago in the actual visual print medium version of this Q&A thing where we were like, okay, what games can we mash up in style? Yes. And we had the idea of combining Monster Hunter and Legend of Zelda where you could take the bits off of various enemies and make things. Oh. And it was like we had an idea like combine the chain item whatever with like um e-hat uh, pedals and make a helicopter oh yeah i do remember that and now we kind of have uh, that I mean, don't we like a decade, literally a decade ago yeah that's the first thing that came to mind when i saw okay you can combine things <sighs> Fuse. yeah see when i saw they're going to make a sequel i'm like okay how are they going to handle the breaking of weapons and i saw two possible ways forwards one was mm -hmm. You know, enhance the weapon system a bit, show durability, maybe have the ability to repair weapons, or get rid of it entirely. And they were like, no, you take the thing and you stick the other thing together, and now you have a new weapon. And then, Imagine yay. the possibilities. Yes. Now you have a rock. Hey, Pew. Yes. And at first I was like, wow, that's uh, not so sure about that. And then they showed sticking like the spear on this stick and having like this super long spear and then it was just like 15 foot there's and then the eyeball arrows and it was just like um oh, I, can, cute. I, like that. I can see why this game took so long to develop now this is gonna be bananas here's new verbs enjoy your new verbs yeah we're doing good how you doing yeah, can you combine can you combine bananas with bombs Probably. I mean, we don't know yet, but possibly. I mean, they had a mushroom on a shield. <laughs> that was cool. Yeah, they did do that. But yeah, uh, that, was, that was a neat presentation. Also, uh, it also looked like uh, Banjo-Kazooie Nuts and Bolts. Only good. Because they were all <laughs> sorts of weird vehicles they showed off. Yeah, and you could just sort of make them out of whatever. That was fun. Yeah. 
Yeah, it looks dope. Yeah, it looks fun. I mean, I needed very little to convince me, so the 10 minutes was about 9 minutes bonus. But yeah, uh, we still know very little about how the game is actually structured or anything like that, but it's cool to see the new features. And yeah, nothing at all about the story, which I'm fine with. Yeah, we'll, I mean, find, it. we'll find out about it in a couple months. Yeah. I was going to say, who actually plays Zelda games for the in-depth story? The narrative can be a useful... Uh... I mean, yeah, it, it can be fun, it can be interesting, but in general, Zelda games are about playing. I mean, sure. It was definitely a big part of why I kept playing uh, Skyward Sword. Oh, yeah, I mean, oh, it's it's entirely why I kept playing through uh, Link's Awakening. But oh, Link's Awakening. still, I mean, Zelda games are not primarily narrative vehicles. It's so true. The, the story Very is the true. reason why Link goes adventuring. Yes. But the, I mean, in the adventures of Link, yes. Um, it's all about the adventure. Don't get wheeled on Zelda 2. We don't on. speak of the adventures of Link. I'm just going to start mentioning every single random Zelda game that I know you guys don't particularly God. care for. Well, that, there's the only... You're going to have to wait a while. For unless you count yeah, I, mean, the... I already named the big two, so yeah. Uh, unless you count um, the CDI games, there's only one game, I, Zelda game, I actively dislike. We're not going into this. We're not having this discussion. Game looks so, good. So, what's the next question, guys? Uh, what have we been playing? Oh, yes, I gotta talk about this first. Because I was at PAX East this past week. Well, one day this past weekend. And I played some stuff. <sighs> yes. Uh, so, the first thing I got to play was Everspace 2. Which uh, I hadn't played much of the original, but Space Shooter X Roguelike. Right up my alley. So imagine my surprise when I found out that, hey, Everspace 2 is not a roguelike anymore. Hooray! It's, it's just a giant space RPG. And that's kind of awesome. And the despite this... Imagine it's a somewhat bigger indie studio, but it's definitely an indie studio, and uh, looks game kind of looks better than mo a lot of AAA games. It looks really good, right. really impressive. Um, uh, an interesting story setup as it actually continues from the first game. So you play as a pilot who is in a line of clones that inherit the memories of the past clones, and I guess that program's been shut down. So you're the last clone. Be the last one. So, I don't know, I found that kind of cool that they actually incorporated the roguelikeness of the first game into the storyline. So, uh, it seemed pretty cool. Uh, very easy to control space shooty game. Um, like, I, they sat me down at a computer with mouse and keyboard, and I thought I, I was going to just fail horribly, and I did not. Controls very nicely. Um, although, Navigating through 3D space is still can be weird. 
but uh, yeah, it's very good. It looks very big, and it's coming out next week, actually, uh, for PC and then consoles in the summer, I think. But uh, I, the early access version... Is it leaving an early access period for us? Yes. Sorry, the, yes. The official leaving early access is next week and it's currently available on early access on game pass i don't know if that means the final version will also be on game pass it's, this is pc game pass obviously uh but i will find out next week and if it is uh available i will do some streaming of it so you know, i was very i was very impressed looks very good um Anyone with Game Pass, highly recommend they check it out. There's also a de- free demo on Steam, uh, which is basically what I got to play, so definitely worth checking out. Um, next up, I got to do some demos with Xseed. The first of which was uh, Akiba's Trip. Uh, God, um, what hey, the well, hell? That's kind of an old game. Yeah, it's the it's Akiba's Trip Two, which was originally released here as Akiba's Undead Trip. Undead Nundress. Thank you for Vita, PS3, and PS4. So this is sort of a remaster, kind of for Switch. Are you still uh, stripping some... fashionable vampires? Yes, yes. Okay. So it's a remaster for Switch with some additional content. And they said that additional content would uh, is also going to be released as DLC on PS4 and PC because uh, the game's already available there for both of those. Not for the Vita version, sadly, which is surprising no one. And um, she didn't ask about the PS3 version, but I assume that's the same case. Uh, and that was, uh, I just got to do some random battles with that, which was pretty fun. All the tearing off the clothes moves are like wrestling moves, like uh, German suplex. Uh, the, what um, else there was? Cobra twist. I don't know. I forget what the other ones were, but it was pretty fun. Granted, I also only know some of these names in the Japanese version. Uh, so. Yeah, Cobra Twist is one of the classics that keeps getting referenced in random games all over yeah. the place. Uh, but I, I did have played the remaster of the first Octopus Trip game. Not the first released here, but the actual first game uh, on Switch. Which is a little rough around the edges, which is understandable. I think that one was originally on PSP. Uh, and this, this game felt a lot nicer, so... Um, if you found the previous Switch release intriguing, but uh, maybe a little too old feeling, then maybe this one will be more up your alley. But it seems fun. Uh, and then I got pulled over to a surprise co-op demo of the English version of Trinity Trigger. Um, How did you enjoy that? With another person from RP Gamer and his friend. And that was an absolute blast. Uh, I've played, I've played, played the Japanese demo, but getting to play it in English and getting some more context for how everything works, I think, definitely left me with a better impression of the game. And I am hoping that the uh, that they kind of tone down some of the issue, um, some of the, the right word, shield issues with some of the later bosses. Um, we'll see. We did. We did I, a boss. <laughs> 
It's funny. We did a boss fight. We almost beat it, and then we like ran out of time with hit the time limit of the demo or whatever it was. It was uh, it's very tanky, and that was a boss yeah. with a shield that you had to take down before you can actually get to DPS. They all have shields okay. for bosses. Yes, that and um, the, the boss that made me just stop playing the game for a while. Um, yeah, she doesn't have a wide an, a large window of opportunity once her shield is Ooh. down and it takes forever to get her shield down. So um, if they tweak anything in the localization, I do hope that they tweak the shield damage reduction. Hopefully. Or increase the downtime for um, that a boss is open for attack. Because that was, I mean, I was completely out of healing items and she was still at half health. Oh, jeez. It takes a while to run out of healing items. Um, even though there is, I mean, there's a limit to how many you can carry in the battle, but still, it's. Yeah. Well, hopefully, <laughs> it seemed like it might be a little. E those fights might be a little easier with actual human companions. So Quite I don't. Possibly, but I mean, I, I didn't have that many. I didn't really have any issues with the in-game AI. Okay. It's because I mean, you can see where the. In, where the enemy's targeting ranges for the big attacks, and I could see that my guys were staying out of those ranges. So, yeah. probably better with the multiplayer, but not that bad with the AI. Okay. I mean, overall, I'm very excited for the game, and I definitely, definitely had a nice, like, modernized Secret of Mana feel to it. Like, this is kind of in lines with what I was hoping for the actual Secret of Mana remake instead of just getting a lesser version of the original game. <laughs> yes, definitely. So, it's... Apparently my feelings toward it are similar to my feelings toward The Legend of Legacy, where it's like, they did a good job of copying what they wanted to copy, and I hope the next one is even better. Yep. And I it's definitely highly recommend, if people are at all interested in something like this, please buy the games made by this development team. Because as we are now on the third different publisher in the U.S. for these games, I, it leaves me very uh, worried. Mm-hmm. Very, very worried for whatever they make next. So what else you got? Uh, so then I played Story of Seasons. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. I forget the exact subtitle. A wonderful life. Yes, which is a remake of an older Harvest Moon game, and it was very charming and cute and fun and. Um, very much more 3D, like with full camera controls and moving around the 3D village. It wasn't like the top-down perspective, I guess, a lot of those games have. Um, yeah, they sort of moved away from that, starting with Save the Homeland. Yeah. So it seems very good. Um, I don't really know anything about the original, so I don't can't really compare it uh i will say something funny happened while i was playing the demo in that i was sitting there playing it and heard somebody nearby mention something about there being lots of 
Stardew Valley clones this year at the show. <laughs> and, and I had to physically restrain myself from turning around <laughs> and being like, well, actually. <laughs> putting the cart uh, before the fist here, dude. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, that seems fine. I really wish I had more to say, but I've always, I've been trying and trying to to play a game in the series because I like Rune Factory, so I figured, and I, I play Rune Factory, and it's not like I dislike any of the non-fighting things. So I keep thinking maybe I can get into one of these games, and it just has not happened yet. But I did grab a copy of the most recent game uh, from Exceed while I was at the show, so maybe I'll try it. We'll see how that goes. Town. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that one. Uh, I do feel like the show floor is a bad place for that. I don't, I don't understand how you even try to demo a story of seasons game. Yeah, I, I, I on them for trying. Yeah, I don't really know. And you know, I tried the farming mechanics and talked to some of the villagers, and it's yeah, yeah it's very enough. yeah, it's very hard to get a good feel for it without. For that, you're right. It's hard to get a good feel for that kind of game without like spending at least like a week in game time just starting to build things it's up about learning the routine around. and the character exactly so uh but yeah it looked nice ran nice um but i can't say much more than that um uh xc did have some other games on show there which uh rp gamer sorry i keep forgetting his name because we met for like two seconds and it's it's a somebody relatively new so it's not somebody that we've interacted with regularly and I'm going to look up his name right now so that I'm not a complete jerk uh, well you will be but for different reasons that's true let's find his here we go John Jansen. And okay. he was very cool. He had his friend there, and that's who I did the uh, Tr- Trinity Trigger oh, co op with. Uh, but yeah, go check out his articles about some of the stuff he played at PAX East. He played some other things from X Seed. Um, so What's his handle? Uh, I, I rarely ever remember people by their actual first names. <laughs> Yeah, same. That's he. He introduced himself with his full name, and I didn't stupidly did not think of asking what his handle was. It's please. I need to put a handle okay. to you. I need to know what yeah. you look like on it's Discord. It's just it's just Jay Jansen in Discord. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's easier, I guess. Yep. And now I feel like I've done a poor job of keeping up with some of the new people we brought on. See what you've done. Yes. Well, maybe we can try and get him on the show sometime. Seems like a cool guy. But yeah, uh, check out his stuff. Just check. He's also played some other games that I did not, including an interesting-looking Persona-ish game called Demon School. Well, that's overt. Yes, it is, but it did look cool. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, okay, and so then the last thing I got to play at PAX East before I pieced out was 30xx or is that how is how she 
You, is that how you read the title? I'm that's how I read the title. Um, okay. It sounds like 20XX. Yes, so, it's yeah. a follow-up yeah. to 20XX, which was I a Mega Man. I remember hearing that they were coming up with something. Yes, um, so that one was more Mega Man-ish, and this is more Mega Man X-ish. And hmm. I immediately liked it a lot more than the first game, which I didn't hate, but was very bad at. And I like this one a lot more because there are like no uh, like instant death pitfalls. It's more about like platforming and action, straight up action. And uh, yeah, it was a lot yeah, of fun. Tony XX had a lot of instances of, yeah, there's nothing under you. Yep. None of that here, which I quite enjoyed and played as the character Ace, who's basically Zero. And yeah, I had a blast made it all all the way through the i think it was two level demo um pulled off some impressive moves according to the developer who was demoing it to me and you win and was trained by nelson self from saying guy this half of this is just luck i'm not this good listen like, you're pro gamer now officially legally. like there was this this blink attack i got up and so uh, during the, the second boss fight i was just like gee i wonder if i can do this mid-air so i tried it and it worked and it did like the final damage to the boss in an impressive fashion and it was just like yeah that was an accident <laughs> no one has to know that's true and now they all know fuck listen they aren't listening yes uh, 30, 30XS was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, one of the things they were demoing there, which I didn't really mess around with because it's something that would have bored me, but not a lot of people, is they are making a full level editor for this. And they were saying how they originally were making the level editor, so we, we would... Ugh. Can't talk. So it would let you make like the chunks they use to procedurally generate levels, and then they decided to just break that out and let people just make whole giant levels, and um, that has the potential to be very very cool. Um, but as as far as the actual just thirty xs thirty xx roguelike experience, it's a lot of fun. I you know playing the playing with the code they gave me from steam it still says it's an alpha so um i i, I got a pop-up saying that you were playing that the other day i was like wait a moment that's out it is <laughs> early access <laughs> and yeah it's in the it state good for that yeah. though yeah for an early access it's very good uh there's a lot of cool features in it and definitely worth checking out now and i can't can't wait to see what they add to it honestly um you know, I've already seen like four or five different level types, all of which were pretty impressive. So uh, whatever they on after that, add on after that, it's just going to be great. So, uh, And that's about all that I played myself at PAX East. Um, didn't really play anything other than that. I bought some, <clears throat> bought some random merch. I got this Disgaea mug, Disgaea 6 mug. I got a white cat plush from East Nine, and a few limited run games things, including River City Girls Zero, and yeah, that's about it. Dolan Valor. <coughs> you 
River City Girls Zero. That is just some old game that they yeah it's kind an of old game that they've right? rechristened to River yes. City Girls. It was always cool. it always starred like the it always starred the girlfriends of the uh, Nikatsu Koha Kunio-kun and his like friend Riki. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it was obviously not branded that way uh, at the time. <laughs> So those two girls aren't original characters for Rift City Girls. They just made them the no, stars they are, of those No, they're long-standing games. parts of the Kunio fan. Ah, okay. That, did not, that is pretty cool. I think they've like they've gone through some redesigns, as you can tell, by like also other characters like Marion and River City Brand, uh, Girls, too, who yeah. frankly looks nothing like she did in Double Dragon. But <laughs> just one of those things where it's like, yeah, they've gone through some redesigns, but they're based off of characters who existed in the Kunio canon for a very long time. Cool. Uh, oh, and I got some... I got a nice Castlevania-branded Switch case, which those jerks just had on display right at the cash, re- cash register to taunt you as you were making your purchases. Motherfuckers. <laughs> I, I almost made it away without buying it, and I just cool. couldn't. I just couldn't. I asked how much it was, expecting like, "Oh, this stupid thing's gonna be like thirty dollars or something." And I'm like, "No, it's twenty bucks." It's just like, "Fuck." <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. I'll stop talking for now. I've, uh, other than that, I've been playing some Remnant from the Ashes. Uh, so you guys can talk now. I'll take a break. Okay, Gaijin, what have you been playing? Well, I've had um, I've had Atelier Rise of three for the last week now. How's that been going? Oh yeah, Nix and I have been just enjoying the heck out of this. <laughs> oh, that's good. Awesome. Yeah. It's um, let's just say. Oh, so far I am on the. I've um, got, gained access to the second major area of the game. Mm-hmm. I will note that the first major area of the game encompasses the entirety of the game map from Atelier Ryza 1. Wow. Oh, lordy. Yes. I was like, okay, Nix, I've gotten to the next section of the game, and holy crap, there's a whole lot of game in this game. <laughs> um, and most of it is free running throughout. Hmm. Mm, that's fun. Um, there's some areas where you definitely need more tools than usual to explore more thoroughly, but right now it's like okay, I've just gotten a random pop-up side quest to go kill something on the other side of the map. <laughs> okay, cool. I will go kill that. <laughs> it's by far the most expansive game I have ever seen in this series. Um, by, um, you know, order of magnitude is probably a very descriptive here and accurate. <laughs> Um, yeah. So it's um it's going quite well, and it's very surprising leap in everything from the previous two games. Um. Hmm. Uh, good to see that they're concluding the presumable trilogy in uh, oh, yeah. yep. quite a in a in a how to describe this in, in a. Proper fashion, I suppose. <laughs> How's it run on Switch? Are you playing it on Switch? Quite well. Oh, nice. Quite well. 
I'm I'm playing on Switch. I, I don't know which um, what she's playing it on because um, she got the review code for us. Mm-hmm. I'd already reserved the thing, so just like yeah, yeah, you take it, Phoenix, you take it. Yeah, I did pick up a copy like, to throw on my pile of Atelier games. <laughs> yeah, if you have not played the Is that first your two retirement games, you, need pile? To play, you definitely need to play this trilogy in order. Yeah, for sure. I just always pick those up at launch because they they always seem to be somewhat scarce. So there's, yeah. We also just building the retirement pile. Eh, no, I plan on digging. I plan on playing a lot of those in the near future actually but obviously it's going to be it's going to be dusk series before any other ones dusk dusks then risa and then finishing out the uh what was the um the rorona trilogy well what was the trilogy's name yeah it was the trilogy's name like, yeah, because I'm on the, the trilogy now. I'm on I'm on the second yeah. one of that. I can't even think of <laughs> Lulu yet. Lulu or Sophie two. Yeah, no, uh, so, I, Sophie two is also very good, but is very good in a completely different way than Rise of Three. Interesting. Um, oh, that's good. Yeah, so Sophie two still feels like a really good version of the tr- more traditional um, exploration and just map style and. Rise of Threes feels like something else entirely. It's, like I said, it's an interesting thing. Hmm. Well, I'm glad they're doing different stuff with the series. Yes. Okay. I know what you've been playing. Yeah, I just finished it uh, before we started the podcast. Resident Evil 4 Remake. Sweet. It's good. <laughs> it looks very, very, very good. Uh, I would say that Resident Evil 4 is the best game of all time. And uh, I couldn't tell you which of these I would like. In six months from now, what one of those I would want to play is going to be a coin flip. Wow. So. That is, uh, that's high praise. Yeah, there was, there was, there was essentially, like, no way of outclassing the original as far as my estimation goes. But the fact that they matched it is, uh, it's quite a bit. Um, let's see, uh, there's definitely some things I could point out that just like, oh, this is uh, unequivocally an improvement. Uh, in a vacuum, uh, you know, the there's some, but there's also just a lot of stuff that it's just doing differently. So the like, there's a good reason to play both versions and mm-hmm. should because they're both very good. Um, but yeah, uh, I I the things that I would immediately point out that uh, I really ended up enjoying are uh, the changes to the Krauser encounters are unilaterally improvements on the original. Uh, at the time, quick time events were novel, so it was kind of interesting to have a cutscene that was like seven of those in a row where they were doing flashy knife shit at each other. 
but because of the because of the way that they changed how knives work, they changed that from being a bunch of quick time events into you do a bunch of flashy knife shit at each other, and it functions within the game's own systems, which is very fun. Uh, well, that's cool. Like the, that fight is it, it's it took that first encounter, turned it into a fight, and that fight uh, consists of a lot of learning the timing out knife parries and responding with your own knife shit and doing uh, melee attacks in response. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's really cool. Uh, the game decided that it needed to explicitly uh, assure the Resident Evil canon lunatics such as myself that the Leon and Krauser scenario from Resident Evil Dark Side Chronicles that was supposed to set in set two years before Resident Evil 4 and theoretically served as a uh, explanation for how Leon knew Krauser and why Leon seems to think that he used to be a good guy uh, and assured me that it was absolutely 100% canon in case you're the kind of person who was playing a Wii exclusive light gun game in like 2011. Uh, such as I was, uh, that is uh, there so to assure you that while you still have wasted your life, the developers appreciate you having done so. <laughs> um, uh, I would say that uh, as a character, Ashley has improved quite a bit from being a weird cartoon to being like kind of an actual character with an arc. So that's something interesting. They did a lot of little things to try to massage the story into something that didn't feel like it had been written relatively late in the day to uh, hit a bunch of story beat outlines that had found their way into a number of versions of Resident Evil 4, since that game went through at least four known versions uh, prior to release. Honestly, five if you're counting. I think it might be five if you're counting Devil May Cry. Because there's the first version they showed that was the airship version, quote unquote. Uh, and there's the second version they showed that was the castle slash hookman version. Then there's a third version that they sh uh, never showed but have acknowledged existed at some point. And then there was the fourth version that came out. So there's four versions of Resident Evil 4 that existed in some capacity that revolved around Leon getting infected with something and trying to rescue some important lady uh and like that's the most consistent aspect of them and they sort of finally they, they tried to make that uh that basic outline that re4 contorts itself to try to maintain into a more coherent story they do a bit more with the plot point of leon and ashley be, being both infected with the plagas that uh have caused this uh hellish village to happen uh there's some expansion on the motivations of uh like weird hanger on weirdo creep luis sarah in the original he's a much more uh he, he's a more developed and sympathetic character in this remake uh, let's see uh in general i would say that the remake is harder than the original uh, just as a general rule, um, they both have really sublime balance in terms of uh, dropping weapons and knowing when to 
uh, give you some resources only to steal them away from you again. Uh, but uh, in general, this one is tuned a little harder, so it likes to leave you with a little less ammo, a little less uh, healing items. It's, it's just generally kind of a meaner game. Uh, but, you know, in, in a way that ratchets up the tension rather than making the game frustrating. Uh, when I finished the game, I immediately started up another playthrough. Wow. Um, the stuff that you unlock for finishing the game in terms of dumb costumes is very good. Uh, and some of the some of the bonus stuff that you can get is very funny. Uh, if you manage to get the S plus rank on the hardest difficulty, uh, which you can't even you cannot even play professional difficulty on your first playthrough. It's, you have assisted, standard, and hardcore, and then on uh, replays you can do professional, which they they sure were proud of that joke of having the game starring Leon have its hardest mode be called professional. They thought that was very funny. But uh, but yeah, uh, the, the uh, ultimate accessory that you can get, most of the accessories are just silly things that you have the characters wear, but the ultimate accessory uh, that you can get uh, grants you infinite ammo for all weapons, and it is a pair of cat ears. So that's fun. Uh, there is also, there, there's like, but upon completing the game, you just unlock uh, stuff like the pin, the pinstripe uh, gangster outfit uh, as an option. But in addition to like the full on outfits, you also have accessories you can put on, like weird masks and sunglasses and uh, eye patches and shit. So you can have him wearing a ridiculous costume while covered in ridiculous accessories. So that's fun. Uh, but yeah, it, just in general, I was I was surprised that uh, it, I was expecting them to dial back on like number of weapons or something. But no, there if there if anything, there are more weapons than there were in the original game. Uh, the uh, addition of weapons in classes that previously did not have uh, upgrades. Uh, such as there was no second weapon that used submachine gun ammo in the original. It was you got the TMP early in the game, and it kind of uh, tailed off in terms of how useful it was by late game because, like, you fully upgrade it, and there's nothing to advance it to. There's no better version of. There's nothing that uses its ammo that's better than it, and there's also nothing that uses its ammo that's worse than it. It's kind of out uh, outclassed by the end of the game. Uh, that's that's been fixed. There's more uh, options in general for that. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that has gone through uh, cuts or been uh, recombined. There's a bunch of areas that have been expanded in certain ways uh, so that in the original uh, I would say like a full half of the game feels like it's a castle and then like the village uh, takes up another fair portion of the game, and then the island is kind of the short epilogue. And it's but and the castle is still probably the largest portion of the game, but uh, it, it's much closer. It's no longer like so completely. Most of the game is a castle, and then uh, so so it's uh, it's certain parts have been streamlined, certain parts have been expanded. Uh, I had a lot of fun. Is 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 great. There's some 
silly uh, things that they added, uh, like merchant side quests you do for the merchant who uh, has you doing some some very strange uh, things throughout the game. Uh, but he he's got a bit more dialogue as well because I mean everyone liked the merchant. Uh, but he can, he also has more things that he can do. Uh, he's more prone to doing things like you buy something at certain points and he'll just hand you other uh, additional stuff that's associated with it. So like uh, there's a point I, I picked up uh, a magnum fairly early in the game, and I was technically capable of buying a uh, recipe to craft uh, magnum ammo. Oh yeah, they added in crafting. You can craft ammo out of gunpowder and resources. It's a fairly simple system, but it basically makes it so that the game can sometimes drop things for you that aren't ammo that are still useful. Uh, but It's all nice. Yeah. And in general, it means that you have like a choice about like this would, uh, like if you've got a bunch of gunpowder, you can sort of decide like, what do I actually want ammo for, which is useful. But uh, it, when I bought the Magnum, he just sort of like, hey, you might as well take this if you're buying that as well. And he just hands you the Magnum ammo recipe. Uh, there's, there's some other stuff like that. But yeah, uh, they've, they did a lot of stuff to sort of ratchet up the tension by degrees. There's a lot, of, yeah, it's one of those things like I, I loved every second of it. Uh, like my first playthrough took like 21 hours, according to the in-game clock, which for a Resident Evil game is, is quite long. Uh, definitely, I would say longer uh, than the two or three remakes. Honestly, probably longer than both of those put together, just because Resident Evil 4 is just a long game by Resident Evil standards. Uh, but, uh, you know, dove, dove directly into the game again to try to start earning the... Uh, some of the bonus weapons that you can unlock if you finish uh, on certain difficulties in certain time limits. Uh, but yeah, uh, having having a wonderful time and have uh, experimented with some of the Easter eggs that they hid for uh, people trying to get those higher ranks in the uh, New Game Plus mode. There's a fun thing that you can really only do if you're carrying over uh, weapons into New Game Plus. Uh, for, for those who played the original RE4, one of the first set pieces is the uh, when you run into the village and you're suddenly like being swarmed by uh, villagers until the church bell rings. Uh, and you know it's it's a it's a really uh, difficult, re like really tense uh, opening section. Uh, that really gives you an idea of how uh, the combat in the game is going to work and how much the game is expecting you to uh, just sort of worry about your surroundings and such. But the uh, the big thing about the uh, about it is that like the the thing that closes the set piece is the church bell rings. If you bring a rifle in in New Game Plus and shoot the church bell yourself, you can instantly end the entire set piece. It just, the church bell starts ringing and they all start leaving. That's not something you do in the original game, right? 
I do not believe that was possible. Um, I mean, I was I was reading through the like, the um, plot outline just because mm-hmm. I'm never going to play this on my own, and mm-hmm. it suggested that, or, or it was, I think I actually said that in the other um narrative, the one um, where you're playing the other character, Ada. Yeah, separate ways. Yeah, um, that in her storyline she um she shoots the bell to end the fight yeah that that was an addition that they made in the ps2 part was that they added separate ways and that sort of was supposed to explain some of the reasons that things happen uh at certain points in the narrative but uh and there's there's reason to believe that that's going to be added as dlc to this version uh okay but yeah, uh, yes, they technically would have, but it's not in this version. Yeah, it'll it'll be there probably soon. It's a uh, it's people like the separate ways campaign, but uh, yeah, the it, it's it's very funny that uh, you can just if you can spot it, and it's really hard to spot where that church bell actually is from there. But you if you can and you pull out a rifle that has the range to actually shoot it, you can instantly end that entire set piece. And it's tough. It's actually very hard to see. Uh, you have to be in kind of a pretty specific place. And uh, I definitely got killed by a chainsaw man several times while trying to do it. I wanted to see it happen, and I made it work. Uh, but yeah, I've been having... Leon run around in the gangster outfit with a really, really shitty pair of sunglasses, so that's been fun. Uh, but yeah, uh, nothing but nothing but praise for that remake. Uh, I was contemplate. I've been contemplating picking up a Steam Deck for emulation purposes, and uh, there is us. a part of me that. And there is a part of me that's like, then I could also play Resident Evil 4 on it if I knock the settings down on the PC version. I'm very tempted. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but yeah, uh, big, big fan of that experience. Happy to play it again, time and time again. Until I've unlo- oh yeah, they're releasing the Mercenaries. Uh, that was not in the vanilla game, but it's being released as a uh, free DLC sometime in the next uh, couple days, I think. Uh, the Mercenaries was always a really fun uh, bonus mode, so that'll be fun to fun to play around with again. But yeah, uh, loved it. 10 out of 10. Uh, front runner for Game of the Year. Nice. Uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll feel bad if I... I'll probably, like, disqualify it for being... for uh, being a remake of the best game ever at some point, and uh, let something else take that spot for me. But who oh boy, good game, good game. Uh, let's see, but yeah. Uh, uh, Tim Ring says I'm expecting more powerful Steam decks eventually. Oh, I'm sure, but I mean, I I don't imagine that it's super high on. Uh, Valve's priority list at this stage. And personally, like I said, my primary uh, purchasing reason is that uh, since approximately 2002, my uh, ideal video game system has been, what if I could play a portable PS2? 
and uh, ACSX2 uh, mixed with that level of power in a handheld means I finally can. Yay. And so I will. Um, plus, I, I got a got a train ride in a couple months, so yeah, good to have uh, access to a lot of games on a form factor that fits in a bag. Um, yeah. So that's what I've been playing. That that kind of completely uh, ate all of my time the past few days in terms of gaming. So. Uh, we should probably hit some questions because I know we got some. Uh, yes, there's one in particular that I very like, very much am looking forward to answering. Okay, well then let's hit these. Uh, okay, now that the age of cheap credits is over, what do you think? Uh, will happen in the game industry. I've got a few friends who work in TV production, and they all said that unless there's an established IP, it's become incredibly hard to pitch anything original to TV so execs. Uh, these are from Fireminer, for the record. Uh, I mean, you've, you've seen you've seen where we've been at. Uh, there's been a huge push for uh, remakes and mining the back catalog. Yes. It's, yeah. it's not even it's not even new to the game industry. It's just I think uh, we're seeing uh, less. Uh, we'll see less attempts at things that uh, are supposed to be unprofitable for an extremely long period of time until they become uh, extremely profitable, which is part of why you're seeing companies be like, maybe we don't want to do live service games. Like, yep. <laughs> those, those make more sense to attempt to launch when uh, credit is very cheap and you can have a lot of debt very cheaply and not have to think too much about like it you know you can let yourself pay it back in the long term because clearly the game that you're making that's going to be a forever game is going to be the next fortnight and you'll make infinite money and then you'll pay back all that credit and then you'll uh cut the team that maintains it to the bone and give, uh, do a bunch of stock buybacks i'm i'm getting really sad now um but yeah uh yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I think you're going to see more uh, companies be like, hey, we've got these really, these games that have like a really strong reputation. We don't sell anymore. We could uh, use them as the skeleton to make a big new AAA game that uh, is buoyed up by the strong reputation of the original. I mean, if you keep making games of the quality of RE4 Remake and Dead Space Remake, then. Go ahead, keep doing it, but you know, it is one of those things where uh, you got to make sure that you're, <laughs> if you're going to remake uh, something that people have uh, don't loved so much that they remember it 15 or 20 years later, you damn well better do a good job. Because uh, i put it this way if RE4 remake was not as good as it was, uh, Capcom would never have heard the end. It would have been. Uh, I suppose it is important to point out that the biggest difference between remakes and the movie or the TV industry and remakes and video games is that most of the movies that are being remade are still available in their original forms. 
Ironically, RE4 is still available in its original form. One of the rare, rare excuses, one of the rare situations where you can still buy that on everything. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the remade games are not as easily available, or if they are, then they are incredibly expensive and thus not really available either. So, hmm. I mean, yeah, it really depends mm -hmm. on the game that they're remaking. But I can tell you right now that, just for example, Live Alive that was expensive in cartridge format. <laughs> Oh yeah, that just got announced for PS4, PS5, and PC. So if you don't have a Switch for some reason, you can now play that sometime in the next couple months. Yep. Sorry, just uh, just a news bite. Yeah, um, pretty much anything from, from the PlayStation 2 generation and before. Uh, a remake is good in that it provides more access to play the game again. Yeah, very selectively available. Especially in um, situations where, I mean, like, Japan, this is not nearly as much of an issue, but America had very limited runs on a lot of these games. Yeah. I mean, they're also dispersed way more. Like, in Japan, eventually something's going to show up in the Tokyo Retro Shops. Yeah. Uh, whereas, Plus like, something I don't know. really obscure, like, Fatari no Atelier on Wonderswan Color, which I've yeah, never that's... seen physically. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, in general, whereas like, you know, if if uh, your copy of uh, Final Fantasy VI found its way into the home of someone living out in Milwaukee, that's not going to do you a lot of good in uh, Austin. <laughs> yeah. My copy of Final Fantasy VI went to a cousin a couple years ago because he was interested and I'm like... I've played this game too much, and I know exactly how it goes, and it's... You no could replay it in your mind at any moment. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, also, I'm not uh, very big on replaying games anymore for largely the same reason. Uh, yeah, uh, just one of those things. Like, uh, I, I think the, we'll see more mining of the uh, back catalog of uh, IP that were popular and then fell off maybe sometime in the last 10 or so years. It's like, hey, now's the time. Here's a here's something that uh, doesn't require a huge uh, outlay on pre-production that has, like, essentially a base game to work from. Mm. And, yeah, that's, uh, that's worth a lot. Let's see. Not more Hollywood actor involvement or less like Keanu Reeves in Cyberpunk. I feel like they take up too much from the budget. Uh, I mean, like, it's going to depend upon how much the, the person getting involved gives a shit. Like, the world will never need additional Takeshi no Chosenjos to go back to a very old version of a Hollywood, uh, well, not Hollywood, but a movie actor not giving a shit. Uh, I mean, I still like the story about how the one of the guys from Sega America was calling up one of the guys from Sega Japan in the middle of the night to tell him that Michael wanted in on this one project. Oh, yeah. It was like, it was it Space Channel 6? Space Channel 5 featuring Channel Space 5 Michael. Space Michael Jackson, yes. Yeah, officially in-game just referred to as Space Michael. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it was actually his face. Like, it was his face, it was his likeness. But yeah, it's one of those things, like, I would say that, uh, you know, it's, it's always going to depend upon how much the person involved gives a shit. And, uh, 
there's I've long heard claims that there was a period where uh, Nintendo was quite reluctant to have uh, to to make to to get partnered and involved with the first mother game on the basis of there have been celebrity games in the past and they have generally involved someone putting their name on it and then making the game company actually make it and we're not interested in doing that we don't care uh, like Etoy sort of had to make a pitch that showed that he actually was interested in being involved in the game design process as a game but yeah uh, it's one of those things like obviously I, I care in as much as the results show that they gave a shit and say whatever you want about cyberpunk player that Keanu Reeves gave a shit because he's in a lot more of that game than he would necessarily have had to have been in uh, let's see and I don't know what Doomerang is talking about when he says how long did it take to get your rock ship <laughs> oh so shit I wasn't paying attention to chat um, the rock ship is just something you can buy in some of the 30th anniversary and the 30th anniversary stuff uh, Doomerang I mean by buy I mean with in-game currency not with uh, monies you just do Dares of Eternity and go to Go See Zer, and you can buy. And no, I'm sorry, not Zer. There's go to the Dares of Eternity stuff where you can spend. Oh, what the hell are they called? Whatever the currency you get from Dares of Eternity is, and there's one chest has a ship you can buy. It does not take very long. Okay, that's it. Hooray! Uh, let's see. Uh, going back to the Discord questions. Would you like to see the Celebrity Deathmatch game be remastered? I, The only reason I would ever want to see that remastered is just so that like children of today could wonder who the fuck any of these people were. <laughs> like, none of, these pe none of the people that were in the video game version of that is even remotely going to be recognizable to a current to a teenager of the current day i didn't even realize that they had a game yep they did the following characters are playable in this game anna nicole smith buster rhymes Harmon electra carrot <laughs> top cindy margolis cousin grim dennis rodman frankenstein Jerry Springer. Uh, wait, hold on. Hold no, 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 no. Hold on. Hold on. Can you go back a second? <laughs> Your beloved favorite celebrity, Frankenstein. <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein? Uh, the monster. Oh, the monster. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool. There's also the Wolfman, the Mummy, Marilyn Manson, Miss Cleo. Okay. Entirety a number of these of people are dead for the record. Entirety of NSYNC. Yeah. A number of these uh, people are dead. One of these people is a fictional character. A number of them these, are fictional characters. Some of these are fictional characters. Uh, Ron Jeremy, who is now uh, very much known for Ooh. being like a sex criminal. Uh, uh -huh. he, that was a skeevy choice to begin with, anyway. That was always a skeevy choice, but it was made worse by the knowledge of, yeah, 100% a sex criminal. Uh, Shannon Doherty, Tommy Lee, like none of these people are at any point so the only reason to bring this back would be as a museum piece to be like children 
children, look who we <laughs> look who we shouldn't have given a shit about. Yep. Uh... Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's the reason that I would say bring it back. Bring it back, but only allow it to be purchased by children between the ages of thirteen and seventeen, so they can be consternated by it. <laughs> Consternation. Okay. Can we talk about weird game? Oh, I think the I know Tam called. Yeah, Tam had uh, an answer for question three, so. Set this aside until he's here. Uh, let's see, back to the original question. Is there an argument about spacing out your releases so that each title feels like something special? In other words, is Disney stripping away the magic of Star Wars and Marvel by treating these films and TV shows as constant instead of actual movies? I don't think so much that the problem is that uh, things need to be separate in order to feel special, so much as the need to constantly produce new content homogenizes that content. Yeah. Like, because uh, you'll still find like the stuff like what's the is it Alderaan? Is that the one from last year that people? Oh, uh, Andor. And Andor, Andor. Yeah, Star Wars. Like, there's still like the occasional Star Wars thing that really grabs people. It's just that like the need to produce like 50 Star Wars things makes it so that like. There's a lot of stuff that's just mediocre Star Wars things. Maybe, but I have a hot take hot take here. I mean, also, I this know. is not too different from the entire Legends period where they were just doing it with books instead. Uh, <laughs> I think this way is much better for Star Wars than the movies. I think Ooh. the movies are not the, working. Uh, the sequel trilogy was fraught. I, I love the sequel trilogy. I would dump the sequel trilogy in a dumpster for more TV shows. Uh, don't I mean, worry, you won't have to. No, I, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I know. Positive, I mean, I can imagine being positive for some aspects of the sequel trilogy, but still being quite honest that, yeah, the Mandalorian is a much better sequel. By far. <laughs> yeah. uh, not just the Mandalorian. Like, Andor is not something I ever would have asked for. I really liked um, what you call it? Rogue One. It's a very good movie, uh, but I wouldn't even say Andor is my favorite character in that show. And that show was—I um, don't have enough good adjectives for that show. It is incredibly good. But yeah, my my, my argument remains like, regardless of the of the subject, that like the issue comes from the need to just produce tons yes. of content on a schedule. Yeah, that's uh, always going to be the issue. They and have like to eventually... keep you subscribed to their service. Yep, so here's 900 Marvel shows. Yes. Yeah, and uh, I haven't been able to see any of those because ever since Disney Plus started up, they have rescinded all rent, or they have no longer made any rental contracts with any of the video rental companies in Japan. Uh, the um, aside from the Spider-Man movies, the last Marvel movie that you can get from the DVD store for rental is Endgame. Actually, sorry, um, in, um, is Endgame. Uh, not a single one since then, ex besides Spider-Man, has been available for rent, and that's the main way I can watch these that things. That one's because of Sony, yeah. Um, it's because, yeah, Sony. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say that... Uh... 
Yeah. Oh boy, I don't, I don't want to think about what's going on with uh, Marvel right now, given the news, so we'll move on. Uh, the layoff news? No, no, I was thinking of the uh, the guy who plays Hang the Conqueror. Oh, yeah, I'm not touching that yeah, with the 10-foot pole. Yeah, it's ugly. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, going to say something about it but yeah like I, I think the you know inevitably uh if you can uh keep making things like the, the key is just the impossibility of constantly plate spinning uh you know so much like so much stuff like eventually something is going to be a weak link or you know stuff is going to just sort of have to come out because well the schedule says it needs to and uh, that puts you in some uh, that ends up diluting it it makes people care less but i I think that you know it's all about making sure that you keep the keep the good stuff coming out like that'll people forgive a lot if there's some good stuff coming out yeah (laughs) yeah and that's the main thing is as long as it doesn't compromise actual product quality you can ignore a lot of it, but it's eventually it is going to impact quality. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for something like Marvel or Star Wars, those are huge universes that you know there's already like a million different comics that go on endlessly. They can handle quite a bit of variety. Yeah, yeah, you do. You do run into the issue of uh, like cutting back to the question as asked. Uh, there, there is. A, a bean counting top level of Disney that just that you know does eventually crush down on these franchises. It's like we just need things to come out, so keep moving. Yeah, uh, and that's that's where you get the cracks in the foundation. But, For sure, you know, uh, you know, there's there's definitely people uh, continuing to try to make these uh, each of these something special, and I, I respect trying to work within that system because it's not easy. Uh, uh, speaking of which, what game franchise require, required you to be fully bought into its mythology in order for the ending to land? In other words, is MGS4 being up its own ass exactly the thing the fans needed? It's up its own ass in the wrong direction is the problem. Uh, uh, I, I do think that there's, you know, there's something to be said for uh, games that uh, you know, that stories that act as culminations, that, you know, uh, tie a bow and say, this story is done. We might tell more stories, but they won't be the same as this story. Uh, you actually need to stick the landing. Yeah, you need to stick the landing. But I mean, like, uh, an example I'll put out, uh, I'll point out is uh, the Ace Attorney series. Every future game after the first three lives in the shadow of the third game a game that i think is by volume half bad content but it functions as an ending to a trilogy that people really love and so the fact that a full half of the cases in that game suck shit has not done anything to diminish its reputation uh and you like but if you just played three by itself, you would be like, I don't know why I care about any of this. You have to have played one and two and gotten invested in those characters. So you want to see the culmination of where their plots go. 
uh, and you know, you kind of get uh, with Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, um, uh, you know, that combines prefer those two games. You get kind of a better take on that, where like if you just played one or two by themselves, you get kind of like a, that was a good game, but I'm not sure it was the you know there. I could think of several games in the series that were better, but when you play them together as a combined unit, it's like oh, collectively that's probably the best Ace Attorney game. Uh, those be ones I would point out, and I would argue the. Metal Gear Solid 4 very much does not stick the landing in part because it become uh, it was it, it ultimately as much as it's about closing out Metal Gear Solid it doesn't actually uh, it, it addresses things in a way that's very perfunctory just to say that they're done rather than feeling like it's pulling them uh, back together to uh, make a satisfying finale for all of them so you get a bunch of stuff that comes back only to explain it and then goes away. Uh, That's very bad organi- or management of your world building. Yeah, it's one of those things like, because part of the issue is Metal Gear Solid 2 was not meant to have a sequel in, in the strictest sense. Like, Metal Gear Solid 2's story is about being unsatisfying. And it's about mysteries that don't have answers and uh, power structures that exist long past the things that set them in motion that perpetuate themselves and all sorts of uh heady ideas about like information control and just not having answers and then metal gear solid 4 comes around and by by demand it is a game about answering questions that didn't have answers and allegedly uh i've never been able to find proof that this was uh true but i've seen it alleged in a number of places at one point, Metal Gear Solid 4 had a very different plot that essentially uh, would have been about uh, Snake trying to essentially destroy every Metal Gear on the planet uh, and ultimately being executed as a war criminal. <laughs> uh, and hmm. that would have pissed people off. That would have pissed people off real bad. Um, it would have been entertaining, but yeah. But it probably would have been a better ending because it would have been uh, fully addressed. Well, not just being an ending because like MGS4 ends relatively definitively as much as it can, uh, but it would have been about addressing uh, what Metal Gear actually cares about as a thematic concept, which is to say, uh, you know, the endless cycle of the proliferation of war and weaponry as a business and as a uh, and how those things interact and MGS4 as released touches on those themes but doesn't actually have much to say about them and ends up tying itself in knots trying to explain things that didn't need explanations uh, and aren't really benefited by doing so it is uh, there, there are put simply it is up its own ass but it is like it has gotten lost in the wrong direction uh so yeah don't think too hard about that metaphor uh, yeah um I, I i would say uh 
Yeah, and, and that, that's kind of the, the thing. You run into uh, culminations and endings have a lot of power, both positive and negative. Uh, and uh, there is, uh, and that's you know why, like a really strong ending can help solidify something's place as a classic, whereas something that's fantastic for 90% of it and botches the landing can actually have a lot of difficulty uh, being looked on as anything other than man, uh, but the last bit that was really bad Mass Effect uh, Yeah, Mass Effect There's the easy one uh, I mean, but yeah, just because it is Yeah, I, I'm not saying you're wrong I'm just saying there's the, there's the one <laughs> I mean, you might be able to say like Xenogears as well, but that one wasn't as nearly widely played and it was definitely left unfinished It also didn't have uh multiple years of build-up to play through that game and get to its disappointing ending, and it's like, well, yeah. you know, I wasn't waiting years to reach that ending, so I can just think about the parts I already liked. But that's the other thing about tying multiple games together, is that uh, if the ending doesn't stick the landing for the last one, it retroactively taints multiple games. Which is mm -hmm. uh, a dangerous place to put yourself in. Uh, yeah, uh... Let's see to, to call back to the original question uh, there's there's definitely a lot of of worth in if, if you are committing to the idea of like this is the end of this like not necessarily the end of a series but the end of this section of a series there is a lot of benefit in really just uh, calling to the fact that your audience presumably has a strong emotional investment in what they've experienced thus far. Like, that can really draw people in. It makes, they, it will cause them to, you know, push other people to play not just the new game, but the old one. That has its worth. But, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, you're playing a lot of effort as it takes a lot of effort, and you're playing a dangerous game because if you fuck it up, you'll never hear the end of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, most most game developers are not Falcom. Yep. Yep. Uh, I mean, most Trails, Trails does it well. <laughs> Trails does it somehow, and we're not sure how. <laughs> see. Uh... Oh, and there we go. And was Mass Effect 3's ending screwed because of the Bioware Magic AK Crunch, or did they really have no chance to end it? Because even the patched endings still don't stick with me. Uh, it's it's the it was the requirement that the game be out in uh, Q1 of like 2012, I think. I forget what year that actually came out. I want to say Q1 2012. Three. Did that actually come out? Yeah, March 6th of 2012. It needed to be out in time for the end of the fiscal year. Like, that was a requirement, and that's what killed it. Like, Bioware Magic is a symptom of the same thing, where it was just like, uh, you crunch and crunch and crunch, and then eventually the game turns into something good. Uh, like, that That was definitely, like, a contributory cause, but, like, realistically, it came down to EA wanted it out for uh, the end of the fiscal year and so it came out at the end of fiscal year 
because you know the basically every statement prior to that game coming out makes it pretty clear that was not the ending that they necessarily wanted uh but that was the ending because they had to ship and so you do some last minute rewrites uh and you make use of what are the the cheapest assets you can get hold of basically like here's an an ending cutscene we make some alterations to it and we just try to make sure that the game can ship and you know you well, the rent always comes due. Uh, it's a, it was not, it was, it was a bad situation caused by unreasonable demands and bad project management finally coming due. But yeah, uh, that's one of those things. I think that there is hiding somewhere a uh, potentially uh, satisfying ending to Mass Effect, uh, it's, I don't even think it's a super complicated one, but uh, you know, it's one of those situations where there wasn't time for it, and like the extended cut tries to uh, tries to improve those endings, but it's limited. It's hamstrung by the fact that it they were not in a position where they could just say, "J.K. Law, we didn't." actually mean those endings we're going to go back and completely rewrite them they they were not in a position to do that uh there was likely not a lot of appetite to do that and there definitely wasn't enough budget to do that so those endings those the extended cut endings are really just the attempt to do the best with what is there uh, let's see next up Uh, excluding Metal Gear Solid, which games, movies, etc. franchise has the unfortunate fate of having the spectacle overshadowing every message the creator wants to say. Like, I'm genuinely surprised to know that so many people didn't catch on to Jurassic Park's central theme of corporate greed, or that Pompoko dramatized the death of progressive movements in Japan. I mean, it's, I mean, there's the infamous uh, wow cool robot meme for Gundam. Uh, in case anyone has not seen that, it just shows uh, it, it just shows like a uh, a Gundam firing off words that say things like uh, you know anti-war and shit, and it just has someone staring at what it's firing and just saying "Wow, cool robot." Uh, Gundam is one of those ones where it's at cross purposes with the company that owns it, which doesn't help. Uh, okay, okay, what did you say about Pompoko? Uh, Pompoko being about the death of progressive movements in Japan. Um, that sounds like somebody's over-reading a Ghibli film again because that was very much an environmentalist movie. Which tends to be where Ghibli goes. But, uh... Yeah. It's, yeah, there, there like, are definitely like somebody. I saw somebody once attempting to explain *Spirited Away* as being an allegory for the sex worker industry. Like, what the hell? Nope, people don't want to, don't want to contemplate that one, given everything about its protagonists. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what? Or uh, 
or what? Oh, the girls in Totoro were actually dead, that kind of thing. Oh, for fuck's yeah. sake. Exactly. The, the actual... I've, seen people, I've seen people seriously attempt to argue this. and can, like. Can we stop with all the, oh, they were dead the whole time fucking theories? Just stop. Yeah, I mean, that one's, that one's baby really, first. Really, theories are just very prominent with a lot of the Ghibli movies, and they're almost always absolute nonsense because... Folks at Ghibli are usually quite open as to what the allegory is supposed to be for any given movie that they make. Yeah, um, they definitely do do fairly like the the most uh, most like almost universally environmentalist messages, but also occasionally dipping into the related theme of like corporatization and greed, which shows up in stuff like Mononoke. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, uh, I would say that there are definitely. Uh, I would you know, I would swap that out for uh, some of uh, what to uh, say. Uh, Mamoru Oshii's work would be probably more likely to be more commentary on the death of progressive movements in Japan. Uh, but uh, just just in general, uh, I would say that you know there's. It's pretty much uh, universal, and uh, it, it really just ends up being how how flagrant and obvious was the message versus uh, how much uh, how successful was the property. Uh, I think one of my favorite things I've ever sat down and contemplated was about uh, the loved B movie Highlander uh, that. <laughs> A movie about every immortal thing dying has like a dozen sequels, and the something went wrong there. But <sighs> what you gonna do? Uh, trying to think of like real betrayals of spirit. Uh, what was it? Let me see. Uh... Double checking uh, something because I remember once hearing about this, and I want to double check to make sure that it is the case. Um, hello, hello. Hey, Tam. I'm gonna take it. We'll get to. Hey, Tam. Uh, we'll be getting back to the question we saved for you in a minute. I'm finishing out something. Uh, oh yeah, the author of the original book that the never-ending story was based on uh despised the movie with all of his heart and soul huh okay why uh, basically uh okay uh author michael n sold the rights for about fifty thousand bucks was initially very excited about the idea he uh was working with uh a man named Wolfgang Peterson as script advisor and claimed that Peterson later rewrote the script without consulting him. He felt that this adaptation's content deviated so far from the spirit of his book that he requested the production either be halted or the film's title be changed. When the producers did neither, he sued them and sub subsequently lost the case and called the film a gigantic melodrama of kish, commerce, plush, and plastic. Uh, put simply, uh, the, the concept of the book that the never-ending, the book containing the never-ending story is that it is essentially a fundamentally parasitic object uh, um, that oh. needs to be uh, put away and left behind. So, uh, yeah, that's a different. 
Yeah, uh, some, some real betrayal there. Yeah. I, I remember um, the author of Forrest Gump so despised the movie that when he wrote the sequel, Forrest Gump's first words were, never let anyone else tell your story. <laughs> I respect that one. Uh, oh, but I mean, it's I mean, it's not as good as the second half of Don Quixote. Oh yeah, Don Quixote is a real one. Yeah, where um, apparently there were so many imitators pretending to be Cervantes writing their own fan fiction of it that he had to publicly denounce the fan fictors. And, and then had to write a book of, that was just Don Quixote died and renounced everything on his deathbed. You pieces of shit. Yeah. Okay, so but a really awful example then would be Beastmaster. Hmm. Where the original novel by Andre Norton was a science fiction novel set on a faraway world where a, a retired military ranger with a telepathic implant that allowed him to organize his collection of hawks, meerkats, and other animals were fending off an um, a clandestine in alien invasion. Mm -hmm. Go watch the movie Beastmaster and realize that huh. it is absolutely none of these things at all. <laughs> I just took a name. I thought the name Beastmaster sounded pretty good. I love those Yes, but they were so very, very, absolutely not. They were very much not the same thing. She requested that her name be struck from everything involving the movie. I guess the last one that I can think of that's like an all-timer of like all subsequent works have completely have essentially repudiated the original uh, with uh, the original First Blood. So, uh, mm. If you've heard the term Rambo movie, it's not uh, It's not what you're going... You're not getting what you expect if you just watch First Blood. <laughs> and think it'll be a Rambo movie. No. I remember watching the movie, I'm like, this is kind of like a slasher monster movie being told by from the point of view of the monster. Um, point of view of a monster that is a representation of... Uh, of, of veterans uh, with extreme PTSD. Suffering from interaction with a society that does not wish to understand their problems at all and just treats them like crap. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that, uh, and then every... I'm thinking, I was thinking if you just changed the, even a couple of camera angles, you suddenly made the sheriff the hero and Rambo the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And that's very much by design. But uh... also, they had to change the ending of the movie because he died bummed, because he died in a blaze of glory and or actually committed suicide and the test audiences were just too bummed out <laughs> i seem well, to recall the, the claim of okay some of that just had to do with the fact that rambo had been a lot of in the 80s and of course seeing him commit suicide was like watching I mean, this is before. This is before first. Like first blood is before any of that, though. This is the original movie. Also, your connection is awful. Oh, yeah, we, we can blood. barely hear you. Yeah, in the original first blood, it originally ended with him, uh, with him committing suicide, and allegedly the the tale told about the test screening was that at least one audience member said, "Who wrote this will kill him." <laughs> so. I haven't heard that part, but sounds all right. Yeah, uh, they 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 were all in until that ending, but yeah. Um, okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna gamble on how much that uh, Tam's connection can be heard, and jump back to this third question that we hadn't gotten to. 
Uh, can I, we talk I about the dead zone on I twenty five? So. I, I I believe you, but I I don't trust the internet. Can we talk about games star starring real life celebrities? I vaguely recall a Japanese either first or third person shooter on the PS Store Dreamcast. Main character is based on the likeness of a real life idol, and the cover art is her dressing in military gear. I don't remember what precise game you're thinking of, although I feel like I've heard of it. Uh, I've seen the cover, but I don't, I don't know the name of it either. Gaijin, you? No idea. Uh, let's see. Yeah, there's the problem is that there's a lot. Of, excuse me. There's a lot of things this could be, but yeah, it, it sounds familiar. My favorite. So, Okay. Oh, you go ahead. Uh, I'll take the obvious ones off the table. There's uh, Bujin Guy, which was a Wuxia game starring Gact. That one's uh, pretty, pretty famous. Uh, as far as uh, extremely silly uh, celebrity-endorsed games, I have a great fondness for the Super Nintendo game Michael Jordan Chaos in the Windy City. Is a uh, exploratory platformer starring Michael Jordan that mostly involves uh, dunking basketballs and shit. It's uh, actually pretty fun. That actually sounds kind of awesome. It is actually. It's also full of uh, in game. It's, it's very early in game product placement for Wheaties and Gatorade. But oh uh, which honestly makes it even funnier. Just incredible. Uh, you're, the plot of the game is that you are having to wander through horrible mazes to. Uh, to rescue uh, other NBA players who are all supposed to be part of an all-star charity game. Uh, huh. It's it's a very silly, silly game, but it's actually it plays quite well and has pretty good level design. I, it's, it's, it's worth playing. Uh, celebrity games. Oh, uh, I was also going to bring up my personal... Uh, I'm so sad that the celebrity tie-in got cut from this. I think I've talked about it before. Uh, on the PS2, there's a game called Savage Skies. It is a game about like wars between people riding dragons. And originally, it was called Ozzy's Black Skies. It starred Ozzy Osbourne, and it was three factions all led by different versions of Ozzy Osbourne fighting each other on Dragonback. <laughs> ha! <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. And sadly, they they ultimately could not afford to pay for his likeness and the song uh, the the like song licensing and so ultimately dropped him and released it unbranded but oh boy I would love to get a uh, a branded a, a version of that that still has the original shit in it because it sounds dumb as fuck and I want it so bad <laughs> uh, so uh, what were you going to bring up Tam for your celebrity endorsement games so, there's, so, in the 90s, Dance Revolution was a huge thing. And mm. you have, I want to say, no, the Spice Girls voiced, like, a, a Spice Girls-themed dancing game. Oh, are you thinking of Spice World? Fuck that game. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, there's, I believe, a Hannah Montana game. Sure, yeah, there's a 
there's a few of those that were. Yeah. Uh, uh, one of them was actually uh, bundled with the PSP for a period. What? What's? Oh God! I own this game. I can't think of the name of it. The one with Jack Black. Metro Libre. You're gonna have to be more specific about Jack Black. And there was a game where he was starring in it, and like all the game previews originally looking like it was going to be a Musou style game, but ended up. Oh, are you thinking like, of Brutal Legend? Yeah, Brutal Legends, which they had Jack Black. Um, let's see what else. Also, Shaq. Forget Shaq Fu. I I oh, can yeah, choose to forget yeah. Jack Shaq Fu. Or maybe everybody wants to forget Shaq I don't know how they made Shaq Fu 2 in the 2010s, and it was somehow more racist than the original. Uh, let's a, lot see. Of a lot of questions happened there. Yeah. Um, now, here's one, um, and I'm surprised you didn't mention this one, Dave, but they, you know, there was a, a series of very famous fighting games starring a whole bunch of Def oh Jam yeah, Vendetta. yeah. Def Jam Vendetta, Def Jam, Def Jam Fight for New York, and the much tra the tragically much worse Def Jam Icon. Yeah. So, um, th th yep. I mean, those just were filled with celebrities. I mean, one of them even had uh, Flay the Flay in there. Oh yeah. I mean, they they just filled out with whoever. Like there, I believe there are fifty different rappers in uh, Fight for New York, along with some other random people, like. Just Henry Rollins. I don't associate you with rap, but it's good to see you. <laughs> yeah. J-Lo was it? What's that? J-Lo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, it was just, you know, whoever was popular that they could get hold of was in Def Jam Fight for New York. And it helps that Def Jam Fight for New York was made by uh, Aki, now known as Sin Sophia, uh, formerly known as The Man Breeze, uh, who made the best wrestling games of all time. Uh and uh, Def Jam Fight for New York is probably the best version of their incredible like wrestling game uh, engine and design. So yeah, no, I mean Def, uh, Def Jam Fight for New York still stands up very well to today. Oh yeah, hundred percent. It's tragic that it's completely impossible to re-release it because of the sheer amount of likeness rights you have to clear. But uh, yeah, track it down. Since, yeah, like back in the day, you know, people didn't think. You know, this that was a PS2 game, I believe, and you know, yeah. no one thought that oh, it's going to you know, we're not going to make much money off of it, you know. So go ahead. And now, of course, everyone knows that video games is a huge industry. It was also just that, like, the people making the game at the time were signing off on the basis of we will sign this so that we can produce copies for a couple years, and by that point, no one will ever think about this game again. And it turns out, no. Game has a huge <laughs> following, uh, but you know can't re-release it. Impossible, tragic. Let's see. There's the Home Improvement SN the Home Improvement game for the Genesis slash SNES. Don't make me think about. Don't make me think about Power Tool Pursuit. Do not do this to me. <laughs> I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Howdy, neighbor. <sighs> okay. So. Uh, uh, what else is there? I, I, I do draw like a minor distinction between licensed games where they where we are using a game that has a celebrity license or a performance and games that are just this is just a game where the gimmick is the celebrity is here, which is why 
my first thoughts were to things like Ozzy Black Skies and Bujin Guy, uh, game, games that would only have ever had their concept proved on the basis of, we got a celebrity. But ironically, uh, Jack Black has now been in like three or four different uh, Double Fine games because he seems to just like being in them. Yeah, well, yeah, he's a huge gamer. Yeah. But, I mean, that sounds like the kind of thing that he would like to get involved in. Yeah, it was very funny when I played Psychonauts 2, and he's he voiced a character in that, and it took me until near the end of that character's appearance to realize, oh, that's Jack Black, because he's not doing, he's not trying to sound like Jack Black. He is very specifically trying to sound not like himself until near the end of that section. <laughs> and it's like, oh, you, you really put your all into that voice acting. <laughs> I mean, Black actually has a lot of skill, and people tend to mm -hmm. they'll think of him as just you know silly antics guy. And, and, no, he mm -hmm. actually really can. Yeah, no, he's it's just one of those things like you you expect when someone casts a celebrity in a voice role that they're casting them for the sake of do your voice, do the voice you do. Uh, and you know, I, I appreciate that. The uh, performance direction gave him the space, and he, you know, took the opportunity to make it to choose a character that was not just being, just being Jack Black, even though people would have been perfectly fine with him just being Jack Black. <laughs> so that's probably one of the reasons why he enjoyed doing it. Mm -hmm. but yeah, tons of fun. Specifically, bring up Brutal Legends because you know the character did look like Jack Black. Yes, but yeah. it was not technically Jack Black, but it was advertised as in, be, you know, being that was Jack very Black. Much what, yeah, that was very much what Electronic Arts was banking on, because they were trying to sell a game that was fundamentally basically a real-time strategy game, but they were trying to trick you into thinking it was a normal action game. Honestly, it would, probably, it would have been better if it was a Moose action game. Yeah, probably. It's I, This is partly my bias against uh, real-time strategy games. I just don't enjoy them, but honestly, I think people probably would have just been happier with the with a action game with open world elements instead of the RTS and Double Fine clearly wanted to make. See, I uh, like RTS games, but I like them on computer. I do not like them on console because console controllers are not really good for RTSs. They were they were trying to bridge that gap by having Eddie Riggs, aka Jack Black, as your like hero unit who moves around and sort of directs things, but also gets directly involved in combat. Uh, that was kind of the way that companies were trying to crack that nut of how to make. RTS controls work on consoles, and like it functions, it works fine. It's playable. It's just like it's not really what anyone but the people making the game wanted from the game. So it's it's a it's a rough it's a rough spot that game was in, and a rough game that ended up coming from it. I'm not sure where you fall on some of the. Uh just the like various dance games that came in the mid early to mid teens the black eyed peas experience the michael jackson experience yeah those ones yeah i'd say those count those are games that only exist because of the endorsement uh i was also going to bring up uh jet lee's rise to honor a game that would not exist if they did not have jet lee's jet lee's life nest to put in it uh which was oh there's a... that there's also that Jackie Chan fighting game where you can fight as Jackie Chan versus Jackie Chan against Jackie Chan. Yeah, there's like five Jackie Chans in that game. Jackie Chan Fist of Fury. Uh, yeah, and, and that's not even. 
Yeah, there's like five Jackie Chan games from that period. There's Jackie Chan's Action Kung Fu on the NES very early in his career. There's Jackie Chan's Stuntmaster on the PS1. Uh, like, yeah, Jackie Chan was a brand unto himself during that period. So, like, people were just like, man, he's fucking cool. I will play a game that's just playing as Jackie Chan. He doesn't have to be a character. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, Jackie Chan is still fucking cool, though. Mm, yeah. But, yeah, it's one of those things where just, uh, <laughs> that was that was a kind of uh, celebrity that you don't uh, see super often in any uh, era. Just like, yeah, people just think the 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 dude is cool, and so like any any anything on uh, any character that they're playing is just an excuse to see them. So uh, eventually, we re we shed the need for there to be a character. It's just Jackie Chan's action kung fu. <laughs> But... I'm trying to think if there's any others. I mean, there there's the pseudo celebrity ones like um, the Seven Up Spot game from the '90s. Oh, God, fucking cool spot! That's not even <laughs> the only Seven Up uh, advertising mascot game of that generation. God damn, that's weird and sad. In Europe, there oh, was boy. also no. Yeah, that's yeah. Domino's. Uh... Yeah, there's apparently two different Noid games. Yeah, there's Yonoid and there's Avoid the Noid. One of them's only for European computers because all the worst garbage is on European computers. Um, but what I was going to say was in the US, we got Cool Spot, which was based off of our ads for 7up uh, at the time. In Europe, there was a game called Fido Dido that was based off of the ads that were for 7up at the time in Europe. Uh, it's bad. Um, on that same wavelength of uh, advertising, like if we if we go into advertising mascot games, we can talk about how uh, one of Treasure's first released games was a McDonald's game. It's a bafflingly good McDonald's game because it's a McDonald's game made by Treasure, fresh off of making Gunstar Heroes. Is that the platformer one? Yeah, it's a platformer, McDonald's Treasure Land Adventure. Yeah, where there's like two kids also. Playable, or am I thinking of a different? No, one? you're thinking of Global Gladiator, starring Mick and Mac, or MC Kids, one of the other. MC Kids, that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, there's a there's a Treasure Genesis game called McDonald's Treasure Land Adventure that's a bafflingly good platformer from them. Um, uh, this does not look good. I don't like the sound of that. Oh, I'm trying to go to Walgreens, and there's three cop cars in front of it. That's never a okay, good sign. I recommend not going into that Walgreens right now. Um, they're going to say something about it. Uh, oh, they're leaving. Oh, well, that's something at least. Uh, There's like a, some garbage advertisement game. That's, uh, I think one of my favorites, this isn't really a celebrity endorsement, but the infamous Darkened Sky, which was a game produced by all companies, Simon and Schuster Interactive. Uh, and that uh, is uh, like by the time it came out and they realized oh wait they didn't produce absolute dog shit why did we lock ourselves into this goddamn uh, endorsement it was too late it's a skittles game the entire magic system of the game is based around collecting skittles <laughs> Yeah. And obviously, we're avoiding the we're avoiding the super obvious movie tie-in games because that's just movie. Yeah, that's tie -in. not a celebrity endorsement. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, I, I feel like there's another one. I'm Uh, could go on advertisement are... games forever. But... Yeah, I, I think as far as like celebrity endorsements and some of the more celebrity um, advertising games, I, I think we've hit all the really big titles, at least in for like American and West and uh, Western audiences. I don't know if. Uh, Gaijin has any he can think of for the uh, more eastern side. Talk about the something. Japanese mayonnaise game. Say what? <laughs> I mean, I think Multiple. the most. I think the most famous one, if we're going with the advertise, is, is Pepsi Man. Yeah, uh, Pepsi I, I Man. Think I, did, I think I mentioned him in passing. Yeah, you did. That one. That's why we need to go deeper. Talk about Motokochan No Wonder Kitchen. What? Motoko-chan no Wonder Kitchen was a Super Famicom game that could uh, be purchased by mailing in two proofs of purchase for Ajinomoto mayonnaise. That's legit. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something. It happened. A flatbed just, just rolled up. Hooray. Uh, I do, uh, I do love... Uh, speaking of games you got by per sending in proofs of purchase for food uh, or other unrelated products, uh, I'm a big fan of Chase the Chuck Wagon, which uh, was technically free with a sufficient number of proofs of purchase for Purina Dog Chow. But wasn't, there a, wasn't there a Chex game that was basically Doom? Oh, yes, Chex Quest. It is a literal conversion of Doom. Uh, that is more child friendly. <laughs> yep, it's a lot of fun if it you is... got it for free in a checked box. <laughs> actually, actually, yeah. it's still it is it has been re released with more characters for free on yeah. On there's many there is a platforms. there is a check the price is right. available right now. What's that? I said the price is right. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, it's still it's still free. I will, I will soldier on with Chase the Check Wagon for one more reason, which is uh, it was technically free uh, if you sent in enough uh, Purina dog food proofs of purchase. And it's basically Pac-Man. But the thing that's extremely funny to me is that it's extremely rare because no one in their right goddamn mind was going to send in enough proofs of purchase of dog food, food to get an Atari cartridge. The uh, uh, per Wikipedia, in practice, the promotion was relatively unsuccessful. The unshipped cartridges were destroyed, and per its designer, I was approached by a good friend who ran uh, the company who made the game, and he badly needed the game programmed over a weekend. Yes, it took me all of three days to cobble this game together. I had existing code for my first game, Artillery Duel, to look at. The sound effects were basically the same. I apologize for the weak gameplay, but I was rushed. So yeah, some dude knocked together a Pac-Man knockoff. Uh, about fucking dog food in three days, and it was shipped to you if you proved to the company that you had purchased a sufficient amount of dog food in 1983. Wow. So, uh, just, so just hate on that. So, so by destroyed, does that mean it's buried in the desert here in New Mexico? 
Uh, it would not have been buried in that particular landfill because that was one Atari itself. It is likely in some sort of landfill, but I don't believe it is in that landfill. Uh, it's, uh, I, uh, I appreciate the raw hubris of, uh, of, of creating such an object. I mean, uh, the, 80s, the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s were just a wild west for video games. You could, uh, you could make whatever you wanted. God only knows if anyone's going to buy it, but also you probably didn't spend a lot of money in the first place. Yeah. Well, even while well, now we also we have the new Wild West of video games, which is the Steam Library. True. Yeah, but that's mostly company. That's mostly the part of the uh, Atari video game crash that you're trying to forget. Steam Library is more of a Cambrian explosion. <laughs> see you guys. Uh, see you, Sam. Strange things that you have no idea how they, anyone ever expected them to survive, and yet they do. <laughs> they should not have been allowed, and yet they were. Uh, but yeah, okay. We should probably hit a couple questions in the big list for. No, 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 no. We have to hit the question about Hearthstone. Oh God, is there a question about Hearthstone? I yeah, scroll that. down in the discard. Oh, here we go. Uh, why did the Famista franchise never take off in the West? The same thing with any Japanese-made sports simulator other than Pro Evolution Soccer. Too much local competition. Yeah. See. Has anyone written any articles or books about how quote-unquote incestuous the game industry is? I sometimes see books like these two that trace money to people working in the anime and manga industry, and they all come down to everyone knows everyone. If you're over 40 and work as fighting game dev in Japan, there's a high chance you work in either Capcom, SNK, or Bandai Namco subsidiary. Exchange of accounts between these companies through the years is pretty wild. I mean, it's it's much easier to get a job uh, being a name, like a decision-making power in a fighting game. If you've been making fighting games for 20 years, that's just sort of how things go. It's not necessarily so fair. It's and I think institutional. Yeah, it's one of those things like, I mean, people always love snapping up talent uh, that another company's let go. I remember when Moon got um, got ported and Famitsu had a full two-page spread uh, just to mark out people who worked on this game, worked on other things, and it just got into an incredibly bizarre web of mid-to-late 90s video gaming. Um, because Love Adelic has cross-connections across the board. Yep. If you're ever wondering, if you're ever wondering what person in their right mind is making the weird Paper Mario games that we get now, it's it's Lovadelic uh, people. It's mostly Lovadelic people. I mean, it was there. I mean, it was that. There was also, I mean, the stuff that Lovadelic actually did also made. There was previous stuff like Super Mario RPG and Romancing Saga Three. Um, mm -hmm. There was Tingle Rosy Reefy Land. There was Rule yep. of Rose. Yep, that game's super expensive. Glad I got a copy of that. Uh, it's just, it's really... There's Chulip, which is more this. obviously a Lovadelic, uh... Yeah. Chibi-Robo. Chibi uh, yeah, Chibi-Robo. Uh, it's, it, like, when you look at uh, things like Chulip, Chibi-Robo, and Moon uh, together, it's like, oh, in retrospect, it's obvious that these were made by people who were uh, connected. Uh, 
she also, uh, I think, uh, Captain Rainbow and Gift Pia. Um, Gift Pia? They were going to release that in the U.S. for a period, and then they gave up on that idea. <laughs> like Marvelous 101, was it? or Wonderful 101 is not... Uh, that one's platinum. Okay. No, no, I mean, this isn't just the company. This is people who worked with it. Yeah, it's just... Uh... I, I don't I don't know of any connection for Wonderful 101. It's possible. I just I, I'm not aware of one that was mostly like that was headed up by Hideki Tamiya from uh, formerly of Capcom and Clover. Okay, maybe I'm thinking of something else then. Possibly. I, I wish I had actually saved that Famitsu, but it was just a bizarre list. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, you you look at this and like when you when you have the dots and you have the connections like the way that the dots connect suddenly makes perfect sense. Like, you look at the stylistic and thematic similarities between the things that they made and the kinds of games they make now. It's like, yeah, of course, of course that's you. You keep being, you keep being about these uh, games with, like, sad and deeply personal dark themes uh, and your character sort of being around trying to slowly repair them in very uh, difficult-to-understand-of-the-outset ways. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm just looking at Gift Pia right now, man. I, I still think about like that was that was shown with a partial English uh, build at like E3 2003 or something, and then it just they just never spoke of it again as far as the English uh, market was concerned. It was just like. Yeah, we we will not be discussing this. Uh, this probably has something to do with the fact that it, it tanked hard in Japan. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Um, since we probably will want to get back to some of these questions next week rather than lightning rounding them, Hearthstone uh, question. Hearthstone we'll question. Hearth we will hit the goddamn Hearthstone question, and then I will tell you to fuck off for the final time. Okay. Has anyone ever done a deep dive into how big the impact of Hearthstone to the digital collectible card game genre is in both America and Japan? I'm going to go out on a limb and say not very in, um, anything in Japan. Uh, Let's let Wheels make this determination. Yes. Have you okay. ever played... Um... Shadowverse, ah, or heard of mind. heard about Shadowverse? Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay. Um. So obviously, all these games have a low a lot to Magic: The Gathering because a lot of the big ones are very rooted in the old rules of Magic: The Gathering. But Hearthstone had definitely set a template for how to do a digital card game that is only a digital card game. Like a lot of the early games are either based on actual physical card games or like rooted play. Yes. Rooted in the design of physical card games, but Hearthstone really found this fine balance of how do we make a card game that is truly digital? Like you literally cannot. How do we retreat. take advantage of the form? Exactly. <laughs> and a lot of the things they did is, you know, simply in, presentation make it more enjoyable as a spectator sport for example and just more pleasing to actually play and interact with 
Uh, and Turns others. out the ideal interface for a digital card game is not actually going to resemble that much. The interface of pulling cards off the deck and drawing them into like various like, you don't exactly. have to you don't have to recreate the look of how a card game is laid out in a tabletop format when you're right. making a digital version, and it can be quite disadvantageous to do so. Yeah. Another important piece was kind of ditching the idea of. Um, kind of back and forth on each turn. What I mean from that is when it's your turn, you're the only one that's going to be doing anything. And when it's your opponent's turn, they're the only one that's going to be doing anything. And this creates a very good flow for a digital card game because there's mm-hmm. you can play out your whole turn pretty much on your own and you don't have to sit there and wait for Make your... Sort of asynchronous style. Right, right. <laughs> And a lot of games have copied this. And honestly, playing digital Magic the Gathering, it's very noticeable that you don't have that. <laughs> so There are things you may need to activate on your opponent's turn. You have to watch yes. them do things. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that's not to say nothing happened. There's, there's not to say that like there's no counterplay. Like There's things that will activate. You can, you can play like... Hearthstone has secrets. If your opponent does certain things on their turn, then the secret activates. It's de-emphasized. Uh, yes, though, exactly. It's exactly. It's all about the digital game and the di- the flow to make it make it like work a, as a digital game. Because, like in a tabletop setting, you want to interact on your opponent's turn. You don't right. want to sit there and watch them just do things. But when you're playing digitally, you're kind of only half paying attention half the time. Right. So you kind of want to be able to let your mind wander while they do shit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think the other kind of the other thing to this is the whole idea of um, I don't want to say random cards, but creating cards as part of the flow of a match that weren't originally in your deck and in fact can't be in your deck. <laughs> or, you know, things like play this card and you get a random spell from your class. You know, it's something, something you, that you just can't do. Right. Right. And there's lots of things like that, including cards that like, Oh, replace your hero with this cool and more improved hero. And there's a lot of pleasing visual effects to that. And, you know, it's. So when are they going to add Scheherazade to Hearthstone? Ah, oh, never. Please stop. No. <laughs> um, but in addition to that, it kind of, and a lot of games have failed to really capitalize on this, um, kind of did not bother with the whole idea of making it a trading card game. Like, you can't trade cards, but you can quote-unquote dust cards you don't want to create cards you do want. And this gives it a very pleasing either free-to-play feel or not spend as much as you're going to spend on other card games. Because um, in addition to you know being able to do that, it's a pretty small deck compared to a lot of other games, so the amount of cards you're going to have to try and get is lower. So... Uh, yeah, there's that. And can I just bring up how uh, funny, uh, how how obviously dated the text on Shaharazad is because it says the sub game has no ante. Yes. Oh yes. It's just fuck, fuck that. Fuck that. <laughs> oh, 
sorry, sorry. I don't think I've, a... thankfully, I don't think I've ever actually had to play against that card. It probably would make <laughs> I, me I... want to flip a table. I'm just imagining like the the, the troll decks oh. that someone brings to like a any anything where it's legal, where they just keep playing it over and over and over. I don't know that it's legal in anything. It may, it, it, you know what? It, I take that back. It's probably legal in uh, Legacy. Not Legacy. You just uh, keep doing it until your opponent concedes yeah. the game out of sheer irritation. Ugh. Uh, but yeah, if you play um, if you play any digital card game, it probably owes something to Hearthstone. I mean, there were some before that, but I think it solidified the form. Yeah, it really solidified the form, and like to the point where a lot of people call like Shadowverse anime Hearthstone, which it basically is. Although it's done a lot of things to start to differentiate itself, but yeah. It's one of those things where, like, it's it's definitely biting from that paradigm, but there's a lot of space within that paradigm to make new things. Yeah. I just want to, for for those for those non uh, card uh, magic literate, I want to read the rules of the Shahrazad card in case you don't know them. Players must mm -hmm. leave game in progress as it is and use the cards left in their libraries as decks with which to play a sub game of magic. When subgame is over, players shuffle their cards, return them to libraries, and resume game in progress. With any loss of subgame, having <laughs> his or with the any loser of the subgame having his or her remaining life points. Rounding yeah. down. How many subnested games have did they manage to do at one point? I people have theorized what the maximum number is, and it's nightmarish because like you can have four copies of this in a deck if, yeah. in, in context, context where it's legal. And Magic technically doesn't have like an upper limit for the number of cards you can have in your deck. Basically, you can do uh, hateful you can reach things. Exception levels of insanity. Yes, because like the the sub game could resolve, and then you would just play it again. <laughs> because those those copies that were used within the sub games have been shuffled back into the library of the higher level games. It's uh, it's very stupid, and I has, believe magic created. Has has a sub game ever gone to an additional sub game? Oh yes, I'm sure somewhere. We're just saying we we can nestle we can nest games within each other. Yeah, you could get to being like four games deep and then resolve a sub game only to like shuffle it back into your deck and play it again, doing another sub game. You're an asshole if you do it, but I also yes. respect you. <laughs> that's why it's called a troll deck yeah I, I believe Richard Garfield uh, described wanting that uh, finding that to be like one of his favorite deck ideas it's, uh, it's brilliant and it's madness <laughs> but yeah it's it's just one of those things I, get that car, I will quote Garf uh, I will quote Garfield the cat on this needs to be dragged out into the street and shot. <laughs> wow. Yeah, according to news stories I can find, uh, Richard Garfield listed that as his favorite card. Of course. <laughs> I don't know who Richard Garfield is. He's okay. the, he, he, he is the creator. <laughs> yes. Uh, Mr. Magic the Gathering. Uh, so yeah, or, oh. Hearthstone is very much not the first digital card game, but it's definitely 
the template. And I still think it's kind of the gold standard. Hmm. Uh, there's... Although you do enjoy Shadowverse. I do. Shadowverse is very fun. Um, but there's kind of too many classes and some other things that I don't love about it, but it's very good. Boy, I'm really good friends with the the uh, overnight clerks at that Walgreens, and they gave me the lowdown on what happened. Oh God, we can maybe save that for after the show. <laughs> I will. I just thought I, I I thought you you all may want to know it. Hmm. I'm very intrigued but, now. Yeah. For, first, we're gonna finish out by doing a couple questions from the list because that is a New Year's resolution we are sticking to. Okay. Um, Fire Miner added um, another question late. I told I just told him in chat that. Yeah. We'll, well, we've there are several questions we've, we've popped over that we're going to say, Dave. Just to, one last thing on the topic of Sharazad. Found a Reddit line from about five years ago. Um, calculating out how many games you could do. <laughs> if both players had four Sharazads and were willing to do that, and for the sake of everybody's sanity, we are calculating this as if they were playing these alternatingly. Uh, you can have a grand total of 355 sub-games played. Hell yeah. Oh my god, wait a second. It does not even begin to cover crazy combinations that hold, can happen. Hold on a second, how do Charizard read? Flashback, or returning to hand, or creating copies. Yeah, I was just going to ask, Charizard doesn't make you remove it from the game, does it? There's no, nothing there's not. in its text this that was, says that out. This was just the oh, basic, no. okay... <laughs> We're not going to cover cloning or okay. flashback or other combinations. This is just the four of the four cards on both sides. I think it's infinite. I think it's inf I think you could just if you were committed enough to the bit, you could probably make infinite something. Yes, I, I think you could. Because there's at this point there's so many things to bring things back from the graveyard or shuffle. Yeah, there's so much recursion that uh yeah. You I think just... that that would be the point where a card game went from being a competition to some form of abstract yeah. art. Okay, when that you... or Sisyphean hellish um, life punishment. Because when you finish, both. when you finish the sub game, it doesn't make you get rid of any the cards you used, right? You just shuffle them back. No, into they library. shuffle them right back into the library. Yeah, so. All well, that's which hellish. Is fitting with the, which is fitting with the cards like lore of being based on a thousand and one nights and Charizard telling an infinite number of stories, basically. Yep. So. Yeah, you could use one and then use another one within that one and then use another one within that one and. They so. just nest. Hello, <laughs> Wizards of the Coast Online. I would like to petition you to add the card Charizard to Magic the Gathering Online, please, and thank you. I would like to petition there to be like an entire mode, of, yes. like essentially a cooperative mode of trying to create as many sub games as possible. Oh, God. <laughs> whoever, uh, whoever content, whoever like creates the most links in the chain, the most nests wins within a certain time limit. <laughs> uh... Get this into the world records books. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so to hit some of these questions that we have in our list so that we don't uh, lose out on our uh, New Year's resolution, uh, what is the trollest thing that ever happened in a video game when you did a good thing? Like convincing two races to stop fighting only for them to unite and slay the third race. I'm terrified of where that example what? might have come from. <laughs> uh, is, that, 
a made-up example, or is that a real thing? I, I hope it's a made-up example, but... Spore? I could see that uh, happening in Spore. Yeah, it could happen in Spore, but it's not a game about, like, like the game telling you this is a good thing to do, and them, like, trolling you because it turned out to be bad. Uh, I've definitely seen games where, like, you could only get, uh, like, Oh, I'm remembering this. Uh, I'm remembering kind of the reverse of this. There's a, uh, there are segments in, uh, there was like a quest, like offshoot in Mass Effect Two, where someone is like begging you to spare them because they didn't really, uh, they just fell in with the wrong mercenary group or whatever. Please don't kill them. And then, like, if you don't kill them, you get told later like that person's killed like a bazillion people. They were just trying to get you to not kill them. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, like... actually, actually, Mass Effect has a lot of those. Um, there's actually a recurring character between the three games. Um, you know, she was an assistant to Saren in the first game, and then you find her assisting another person in the second game. And then in the third game, you can find her again. And if you actually recruit her, she's actually been indoctrinated and, um, yeah, she points. she just fucks up your uh, war assets. But yeah. yeah, there's there's some I, I can definitely think of those more easily of situations. Uh, that, that, but yeah, that that does you you do see these things where it's just like yeah, we just fucked with you for, for because we could just so that you don't I, you stay on your toes about making decisions rather than just always picking one type of decision. And my wife. <laughs> In Arcane, in a, in Arcanum, um, mm-hmm. there's there's this evil person that you're supposed to confront, and you can confront them in many different ways. And apparently, my wife had so much charisma that she was able to sleep with her. <laughs> Good work. Unbeknownst of to magic my wife, and sea work obscure. Good work. Uh, okay, so going way back a ways, Romancing Saga 2 had a situation where you could agree to help the sorcerer develop dark magics um, by helping him access a dungeon, uh, which uh, turns out to also cause the local volcano to explode, wiping out an entire recruitable group and devastating the local town. Oops. Seemed harmless at the time. Dark magic. However, um, due to the nature of how the Imperial line works in that game, if your Emperor chooses to go along with this, then he is um, summar- summarily executed by the Inheritance magic, and you get to choose a new Emperor. <laughs> Good work. If you're crazy enough to do this with the final Emperor, which I did try once just to see what happened, one of your other characters will sacrifice themselves to take your place. Wow. Uh... Just, uh, just rubbing it in. You're a real bastard there. Um... Uh, Rhapsody, a musical adventure, you wipe out firebirds that were keeping a volcano from erupting. Whoops. Was that treated as a good action? <laughs> no, but they kind using... of glossed over that it's a bad action, too. That's, I mean, that yeah, just feels like the game failing its yeah. own ethical test. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, like, like games. 
for the sequels coming. Hmm. But yeah, I'm trying to think of situations like this. Game, games really don't like doing this too much, just because, you know, it's uh, oh, a right. lot of players don't like being tricked. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think I have an even better one involving Mass Effect. Mm -hmm. And I just remembered this one. So in the first game, you meet an uber fan. Oh, you're talking about Conrad. Yeah, Conrad Werner. And, uh, you know, he, he like, talks about, you know, you know, just want your autograph, want a picture. Second game, you run into him. He's imperson not impersonating you, but he's trying to be you. <laughs> Badly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Step down, step down. Third game, though. And, if, and you have to do a lot of things for this to line up between the first and second and third games to get this all to line up properly. Is... There's a gal you saved during the DLC in the first game. The, the one about the asteroid hitting the planet. And she shows up in the third game on the run from the Batarians. And he actually leaps in to save her. And you find out that he's like this super well-regarded astrophysicist this entire time with like these intricate doctorate theories. And it's like, what the hell? He's, he's very troll. intelligent. He's just a huge dipshit. <laughs> yeah, he's very intelligent, like really well-respected in his field. And he's a complete dumbass at the same time. <laughs> but that's kind of a troll. It's, it's like, why are, we, why are we helping this idiot? It's like, oh... He's actually really good. <laughs> He's got his heart in the thing. right place. He's just really stupid. Um. <laughs> it, it, he, he's, it's the old theory of, you know, the rocket scientist being so smart he can't tie his shoes type of thing. Hmm. Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can think of more of these because games are really reticent to do this kind of trickery. Uh but it's, it's always interesting when it happens. But I think we're getting up on time here, so if we want to start uh, doing plugs, if I can learn a bit more about where I can get princesses and pizza. Mm, Do tell. Pizza. Oh. Mm. Yes. <sighs> Do you enjoy tabletop RPGs? Do you enjoy watching other people play tabletop RPGs? Because, you know, this is an entire thing on YouTube these days. And would you mind actually just reading these in either ebook or dead tree format? Then we have Princesses of the Pizza Parlor on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited, a serialized um, bunch of novella-length episodes um, detailing the summertime exploits of six young people who just love to drive their game master crazy with also that's the right word here idiosyncratic role-playing choices um currently they really be episode... a tabletop group of big ones <laughs> uh, exactly i mean it's it's not not even the worst table i could have ever described because i actually want a, a cohesive story to follow here <laughs> i want to run a table of 11 people <laughs> uh, yeah yeah no no um, I mean, uh, episode twelve is going to be involving like nine. Oh, so geez. it's. Uh, I just finished episode no, three. You're working your way. One of them is just actually sitting in the background and is just there to chaperone and 
is perfectly willing to be a specific NPC a few times, and that's it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so that's uh, ten ebook episodes, currently three short stories, and one really long paralogue, because, you know, I could not find a good way of splitting that into multiple books. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, so Princesses of the Pizza Parlor, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited by Michael Yadimizu, Y-A-R-I-M-I-Z-U, Google sucks. Okay, so uh, please check it out. Thank you. Give it a check. Uh, okay. Uh, Tom, tell so, us about the RP Gamer streams. So, besi besides this being a production of RPGamer.com, uh, we run multiple streams throughout every single day throughout the week at twitch.tv slash RPGamer. Uh, you can catch a variety of different people streaming a variety of different RPGs and even different types of RPGs. Uh, we run the full gamold of strategy games, turn-based RPGs, action RPGs, roguelike RPGs. I mean, you name it, someone's going to play it or will be playing something. Um, unfortunately, I am currently on hiatus because I have uh, stuff going on in my real life that is... Um, not making it very good for me to stream right now but uh hopefully i'll be back soon but uh you can always again check us out at twitch.tv rpgamer check out our calendar we do try and keep it as best up to date unless someone's out of course and uh what about you dave what can you t talk to me about absolutely jack shit at the moment i'm busy doing other things mostly playing resident people but uh <laughs> we we do uh, we do shenanigans on Sundays, me and Wheels, and usually Smoke and Joe Gamer. Uh, it is what did we? Oh, last last uh, last time I just sort of rambled about how much I was loving Resident Evil Four while Wheels played Resident Evil Village and some other stuff like uh, Everspace Two. Yeah, thirty uh, XX. Uh, yeah, yeah, thirty XX. Uh, but, you know, that's, sometimes that ends up happening. Sometimes we don't feel like playing multiplayer. We just want to prattle on about whatever. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, so you can catch that on Sundays at uh, 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern. Or if you, uh, you want to catch us while we have our uh, recording, like uh, Dear Friends... Uh, Doomerang or Q and Fireminer, uh, then you can do so by catching us. Uh, the, the date has changed. It's going to usually be Thursdays now. Yes. Uh, Thursdays at 9 p.m. Uh, Pacific, midnight Eastern. Blame wheels. <laughs> sure. Even if, it wasn't my fault. Even if it wasn't my fault, you can blame me. It was your fault, though. It was. It's true. But, uh, yeah, you can catch us down. Uh, you can ask us questions in the chat, uh, or you can ask us questions in the Discord. Fireminer demonstrated both this week. Sorry we couldn't uh, get to all of yours. We will get to that. We will catch the ones that we didn't. Uh, let's see. Uh, as for uh, general... Uh, Oh, yeah, you can also ask us questions via the comment section. I checked the last three episodes. It doesn't look like we've got any new ones. So, uh, But that is always welcome. 
And let's see, is there another thing? Uh, oh yeah, and of course, if you want to join the Discord to ask us questions or just participate in a lovely community, you can get that by going to the rpgamer, uh, rpgamer.com and clicking the community tab, and I'll get you the Discord invite. Uh, if you want to ask us questions, uh, you just go to the podcast section of that very Discord. But otherwise, that about wraps us up. So see you, Space Cowboys. See you. Bye.